Praise the Lord. Thank you, folks, musicians, and brother for leading. Uh, <clears throat> want to just take a moment to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. Praise God for this place and for your fellowship over the years and for the invite to come back and share with you. I guess there's something about the end of a year that uh, causes us to look back a little bit and reflect and I, I look back and, and thank God for um, the opportunity to serve Him on the streets primarily, but sometimes at Bible camps and different settings, nursing homes, native reserves. We go to where the people are, preach the gospel, and one of the reasons thank you, one of the reasons that uh, we can do that is because of places like Northbrook Bible Chapel who pray for us and give and. It's, uh, so I, I just, uh, as 2014 draws to a close, I want you folks to know how much our family appreciates you folks and your love and your prayers and your thoughts and your gifts. It, uh, it's really, really humbling, very exciting all at the same time. A friend of mine graduated from uh, New Tribes uh, Mission uh, Training Institute this past uh, week, and I called him up and congratulated him for completing an 18-month uh, training course and and he was quick to point out that uh, I didn't really graduate my my team graduated he he said you know we uh, I couldn't have done this without my team which you're a part of Kirk and so that was uh, that's good and I got thinking about that how how, how uh, one of the reasons I'm able to do what I do is because I'm part of a team and I, I feel you guys are on my team and so I thank you for that you heard about the, uh, I might have shared this here before, I can't remember. You heard about the uh, man who was walking through the jungle and he saw this massive, massive beast dead on the side of the river and the guy couldn't believe it. He'd never seen anything that big before in his life. And there's this little man, just a very small man, standing there kind of preparing this thing, you know, to be eaten. And the guy said, uh, that's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. He said, you know, you know I took it down. How, how did you take that down? He goes, with my club. With your club? He says, how big is your club? Oh, he says, oh, there's about 75 of us. So, <clears throat> so you know, <laughs> the task of evangelism is, is monumental, and uh, I, I can't do it alone. I, I, need a, I need a club, so thank you for being part of the cl- my club. <laughs> Uh, I'd like you to turn your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 27. Now, to bring, bring it to remembrance, I think the last time I was here was October, and we talked about uh, the third of the seven sayings of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And I debated whether or not continue to going with number four or moving into a Christmas message, and I think we're hopefully going to find a balance between the two of them. Um, the Lord Jesus has already said, as we looked back earlier this year, Father, forgive them, for they know what no, for they know not what they do. This is recorded in the book of Luke, and uh, this is almost certainly. There's a little bit of discrepancy when you read different authors and different scholars. Which one was? You know, some of them are in different order, but pretty much everybody agrees that the first thing the Lord Jesus said, once, uh, possibly even before the nails went into his hands and feet, or as the nails were going into his hands and his feet or shortly after they raised him up on the cross, it's pretty much widely agreed upon that the first thing the Lord Jesus said was to, Father, 
forgive them for they know not what they do. And for reference to test your memory, you'll have to think back several months. To th- I talked about father being relationship. And, and one of the things that we try to portray to people, especially who are wrapped up in cults, that, that uh, we're not pushing a religion. We're not even pushing a denomination when we go out there. We're, we're encouraging a relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus. So J- when Jesus says, Father, and then he says, forgive them. That's redemption. And then, for they know not what they do. I talked about that being religion. And you probably uh, know of people or maybe you once yourself were trapped in some kind of a religion where you had to pray with beads so many times or you had to pray facing a certain way or you had to do or you had to some people cause literally physical pain upon themselves striking themselves with things just and 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 then after you come to know Jesus Christ as savior you you if you've been delivered out of that you say what what was i doing well, that's religion, and there's lots of religion around it. So the only way to get from religion to a relationship is through redemption. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then we looked at, verily I say unto you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And we looked at that in the book of Luke as well. And the last time we were together, we looked at that little statement that the Lord Jesus made. That's recorded only in the book of John. Behold thy son, and behold thy mother and the Lord Jesus taking care all of those relationships all of those um, first three statements of the Lord Jesus on the cross were all horizontal in nature they were all horizontal in nature they all had to do with father forgive them for they know not what they do Uh, today you sir will be with me in paradise Uh, behold thy son behold thy mother and so these, these horizontal uh, relationships and these horizontals, the Lord Jesus uh, sets everything right. And then we come to this one, which is very different than the first three. And it's only recorded in Matthew and Mark. Interestingly enough, the first uh, sayings, one, two, and seven of the Lord Jesus are recorded only in the book of Luke. Uh, sayings uh, three... Five and six are recorded only in the book of John for some reason. And it's only in this text in Matthew 27, as well as this parallel text in Mark chapter 15, do we find this, uh, this, 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 this saying, this statement, excuse me, of the Lord Jesus. And you'll look at it with me. <clears throat> and we'll pick it up at, uh, let's pick it up at verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him wagging their heads have you ever had anybody wag their head at you ladies and gentlemen like have you ever had anybody look at you and go (laughs) you're such an idiot you're such a fool i've had people do that to me on the streets (laughs) you believe the bible (laughs) you believe in a floating zoo do you know how many you know big that boat would have to be kirk you stupid idiot i mean i i get that i hear that it's it's a very humbling very humiliating thing to have somebody wagging their head at you and the Lord Jesus well people on the cross people wagging their heads at the Lord Jesus can you imagine and saying you that destroy the temple and build it in three days quoting the Lord Jesus in John chapter 2 save yourself 
And if you be the son of God, come down from the cross. And likewise, the chief priests mocked him. And the scribes and the elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross. And we'll believe him. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. He rose from the dead. You still didn't believe him. You think he's going to? No, they're just flattering themselves. As a matter of fact, in Acts uh, chapter 1, it does say that some of the tree priests and some of the elders did believe. Praise God. He trusted in God. Let him, deliver, let him deliver him now. And if he will save him, for he said, I am son of God. Just mocking. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast their same in his teeth. <clears throat> and from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land to the ninth hour. Ladies and gentlemen, that means from noon to about three o'clock, darkness. That darkness is going to come into play uh, very soon. I like it how I like how the Word of God. If you just you don't know what's going on, just keep reading. Usually, usually it answers itself for you. Because verse forty-six, look at it. In about the ninth hour. There wasn't much said verbally between 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock. All those first three statements were said prior to the darkness, prior to 12 o'clock noon. And now it's about the ninth hour, so it's just about concluded. Pretty much silence from the Lord Jesus as far as we know during those three hours. And about the ninth hour, ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, <clears throat> Eli! Eli! That's loud, right? Lama sabachthani! Which is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, God, that your word is quick and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we take joy and, and comfort in that today. And we ask you, Lord God, by the power of your spirit to work in hearts today, from the youngest to the oldest person in the room, uh, to those who've been saved uh, a day, to those who've been saved several decades, to those who are not yet saved. We ask you, Lord, to work in every heart, mine included. And may we enter into a greater understanding and knowledge of this statement, not so that we can fill our heads with information, but that we might know you and the fellowship of your sufferings and the power of your resurrection, as Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3. God, uh, help us now to, to hear from your word. The devil is a very good distractor, so please keep us free from distractions. <clears throat> and help us to focus on what you have for us at this hour. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus, and help us to learn now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is a pretty uh, heavy portion of Scripture. And when you're going to talk about the seven sayings of the Lord Jesus on the cross, eventually you're going to have to come to this one. And may I say that you know, these are depths unfathomable. These are heights 
beyond bordering on the limits of human comprehension when we talk about the father forsaking the son. Some of you have been forsaken. Some of you used to have a really good friend, like a really good friend. And then they, for whatever reason, usually for their own benefit, forsook you. Uh, some of you know what it's like to uh, have a wife walk out the door. I literally heard just a couple weeks ago of a guy who was going to be a missionary in a foreign field. And, well, he's not going now because his wife left and left him with their nine children. And he was forsaken just literally within the last couple of months. Some of you know what it's like to have a, a husband say, I'm out of here. So you know what it's like to be forsaken. And I'm not here to minimize those things. You people who've been forsaken can enter the foothills of this monumental mammoth of a truth that is really heavy. That God forsook his son. This statement, Eloi, Eli, 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 lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is, this is, this is grasping at some of, the, some of the deeper, some of the more even troubling truths of scripture that people have a hard time wrestling with and wrapping their minds around. And if you read five good commentators, you may get three different interpretations of this, uh, of, of what's going on here. But what's, being ha what's happening here is the Lord Jesus is quoting Psalm chapter 22. So this is not the first time you see, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because it's in the book of Psalms. It's in the 22nd Psalm. And so the Lord Jesus is quoting the, the 22nd Psalm. And to set the scene just somewhat, for sake of time, we've got a trial, so-called trial. I put the word trial in quotation marks because if you know anything about law, Jesus didn't have a trial. I mean, that's, you can't call what Jesus had a trial. That's, that's, that would be a joke. That would be a mockery of any judicial system on the earth. Well, there was some scourging and there was some mockery and there was some mistreatment by the soldiers, which you can read about in John chapter 19. <clears throat> and he's already been led to Calvary and he's already been nailed to a cross. He's already had people wag their heads at him. He's already said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And verily I say unto you, today you shall be with me in paradise to that one thief on the cross. And behold, thy son, behold thy mother. We've all talked about that, all those horizontal. And then we come to, to this verse in verse uh, 46 about darkness. Verse 45, excuse me, darkness over the land. Um, there was an incident that took place back in the Old Testament. And we're not going to turn there for sake of time, but I'll just jog your memory back to Exodus chapter 10. And there were 10 plagues, right? And it says in verses 21 to 23 of Exodus 10, it says that the Lord brought darkness which may be felt. It, it talks about a darkness that could be felt. So this darkness that was sent during the ten plagues was a supernatural event. This is not like getting lost in the woods. Have you ever been, have you ever been in total, and I mean total darkness? Has anybody ever been in total? It's pretty frightening. 
I w my car broke down once in this at the camp that I got saved at back in 85. I went back on staff and my car broke down. I was driving this piece of junk. I probably shouldn't have even been driving this car. And it, you can't really call it a road. It was more like a path through the woods. And anyway, <clears throat> I had to walk probably half of it. And I'm walking. And I'm telling you, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. I was like scared. I was scared. I was like, man. I was like walking like if somebody had had night vision goggles, they would have had a good laugh, you know. I'm walking like this because I don't want to smack my face into a tree. And I had to walk a couple miles like that. It took me forever. And it was kind of frightening. That's not what's taking place here. I, I, I would submit to you that this darkness parallels Exodus chapter 10, which is a darkness that cannot be felt. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 10, it's also called a thick darkness. This was a supernatural darkness that was sent from God, but God's people had light. And usually, in almost every case, light overcomes darkness. But in this case, there was a special act of God to make sure that no light could make this darkness break. So, somehow the thick darkness, which is described in Exodus 10, I believe had a, uh, I, I could be wrong, but I, had, I believe it had a, like if you were to somehow light something and cause a spark, that this darkness was so thick and it could be felt that nothing would spark. And these people were in complete darkness. But the people of God, the people who trusted in God, God's people <clears throat> had light. The Bible says it in Exodus chapter number 10. And these people, this lasted for three days, and the darkness was so thick, and the darkness was so felt, that it says the people did nothing. They did nothing. They sat around for three days and did absolutely nothing. They didn't work, they didn't play, they didn't talk, they didn't eat, they just did nothing, because the darkness had overshadowed, the darkness had overtaken them. And it's in Exodus 10, if you want to go back there, but we have a lot to get to, so I don't want to take that uh, time I think it'd be better our time would be better spent here in Matthew chapter 27 so so I would I would I would present to you that the the darkness that we see in Exodus 10 is is kind of reappearing if I may use that word is is back because this darkness was was a darkness that when a man who killed people for a living I mean, that's his job. What, you, what did you do all your life? Well, I executed people for a living. I'm a Roman soldier, and I was in charge of making sure people were dead. And when this man, at the end of it all, saw the darkness, and he heard what he heard coming from that man on the cross, he came to the conclusion that surely this man was the one. This man was the son of God. I mean, nobody dies like this guy died. I've seen people die. This is not of this world. This guy died. This man was surely the son of God. I, I would submit to you that the darkness would have something to do with that because it doesn't get dark from 12 till 3. It might get dark for, you know, 20 minutes for a solar eclipse or something like that, maybe an hour, but not this kind of darkness. Because why, why was it so dark? Let's keep a marker in... Uh, Keep some kind of a marker here, and let's jump back to Habakkuk, chapter number one, please. Let's go to, back to Habakkuk. You can just go to Micah, and then you can go to Nahum, and then you go, come to Habakkuk. 
Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. We have to establish what's going on here. Why? Why is it so dark? And why would Jesus say this? Habakkuk, chapter 1, little verse tucked away in the book of Habakkuk. You may want to underline it or highlight it and think on it this week, possibly. Verse 13, here's the verse. We're going to look at the first half of it for sake of time. You are of pure eyes than to behold evil. You cannot look on, what's the next word? Iniquity, does your Bible say iniquity or sin? My Bible says iniquity. It says sin, that's good too. Your eyes, for you are of pure eyes, Jehovah, Lord God, King of kings, than to behold evil. And you cannot look on iniquity. Now keep that in mind as we go back to uh, Matthew chapter 27. There's this theory floating around that God, you know, he's okay with sin. But it's not true. If he was okay with sin or if sin wasn't a big deal, then Matthew 27 wouldn't be in the Bible, that's for sure. Because here we have the Lord Jesus in all of his glory, the one who did no sin, the one who knew no sin, the one in him whom was no sin, becoming sin for us. Is the, is the, is the text that John preached on, on, on uh, Friday night on Spring Garden Road. The Lord had led him to preach 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's, let's go over to 2 Corinthians 5.21 and keep your uh, finger of some kind of a marker in Matthew 27 because we'll be coming back to Matthew 27. If you're into memorizing scripture, and I certainly hope that you are, this should be one of the verses that we learn from a young age or if we get saved older, this should be, you know, if somebody was asked me, had me a pen and paper and say, Kirk, I'm a new Christian. Give me 10 Bible verses to memorize, please. This would probably want to be those first 10 that I would recommend. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Ladies and gentlemen, what's taking place on the cross is the first half of verse 21. He made him to be sin for us. Now, I understand you've got to be careful when you start talking about Jesus, deity, pure, becoming sin. I understand there's a bit of a, you know, a fine line there, and I don't exactly know where that line is, I'll admit to you, but I do know what the scripture says, that he became sin for us. He was, if you know anything about the sacrificial systems of the Old Testament, he was the embodiment of the, of the sin offering. And, and the Lord Jesus here, as we read this only in Matthew and only in Mark, Luke and John, for whatever reason, don't record this. He says, once again, let's look at our text, verse 20, uh, 46. He cries with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Now, why a loud voice? If you ever, if you ever uh, listen to audio dramas, uh, there's all kinds of really good stuff out there. Um, my children particularly enjoy audio dramas, uh, you know, any, any kind of dramatization of something uh, either biblical or not biblical. And one day we were driving down the road and, and uh, 
uh, is the reenactment of the cross. I don't have any problems with the reenactments of the cross, but you better be biblical. Okay, that's all I ask. And so, sure enough, uh, anyway, in the driving along, do do do, going somewhere I forget where, and uh, you hear this Jesus on the cross. Apparently, the voice of Jesus saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." Dead pauses the tape. Okay. Somebody got the, back there got a Bible. <laughs> I got one. Please turn to Matthew 27. And uh, what does the Bible say, kids? Does it say Jesus said, Eli, Eli? Or does it just say Jesus cried with a what kind of voice? Some of these might have thought, my, Kirk, that was a little overkill, <laughs> yelling that. Well, Jesus cried with a loud voice. And there's sometimes when a loud voice is actually a good idea. In Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 1, the pro- the God tells the prophet Isaiah to lift up his voice like a trumpet and show his people their transgressions. And so there's a time to do that, to, to lift up your voice and be loud. In, uh, in Joel chapter 3, we're not going to turn there, but if you're keeping notes, you could mark down Joel 3, 15 and 16. I believe that's a prophecy of Matthew chapter 27 that, that said that he will literally cry out with a loud voice. So Jesus Christ, what's the, why? why? Why even mention that? Well, because, here's why. Victims die with a quiet voice. Victors die with a loud voice. Did you catch that? Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And sometimes he's painted out to be this pitiful, weak, guy that could barely carry this cross he was rugged because he was a carpenter and he wasn't he wasn't so weak that he couldn't carry a cross ladies and gentlemen what's happening here is that the wrath of god is coming is on his son he is bearing the sins of many in his own flesh on the tree and so jesus christ isn't weak he's not pathetic he's he i I would encourage you to develop if you do not already a mindset, a Christology that involves Jesus Christ as, yes, the Lamb of God, but the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And as you read Second Thessalonians, and you realize he came the first time as a lamb, he's coming the second time as a lion, and he's going to take vengeance on those who obey not the gospel. And the Bible teaches us here that Jesus cries with a loud voice, Victims die when they're told they're going to die or when they're killed. Victors die at an appointed time. And he said already, no man takes my life from me, but I what? I lay it down. I will lay down my life. I will pick the time. I will pick the place. I will pick the circumstances. No man's going to take my life from me because I am the Christ. I am the chosen of God. I am sinless. I'm paraphrasing here, but you get the idea that Jesus Christ is no pitiful weakling who dies with this quiet, barely getting the words out voice. We're going to see it again in the book of Luke. Not next time I'm here, but the the seventh time Jesus cries again with a loud voice. Into the hands I commend my spirit. He dies a victor, not a victim. Yes, there's a Roman execution taking place here, but don't be deceived. Jesus Christ is laying down the terms of his death. And he says with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Even the people around didn't know what was going on because he was speaking Syriac, which is a dialect of 
Aramaic. And so the people weren't used to that. And so they said, look at verse 2047, some of them that stood there, when they heard that, they heard Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This man calls for Eli. This man calls for who? Elijah. Well, that, make, that makes sense to them because they're listening to a language they've never heard or some of them were not familiar with. And if you've ever listened to another language, you might be able to pick out part of a word here and there, and then you might come to the conclusion that you think with this person, you know what they're saying based upon part of a word that you thought you might have heard. So there was some confusion here. So that the people who were standing around, and this is a public thing, by the way. It was not done quietly, and it was not done out of the way. It was done just outside the city, and it was done publicly. And I'm of the conviction since Jesus Christ died publicly, then we should be prepared to present him publicly. Um, so these people were confused. Because they hear Syriac, a, a dialect of Aramaic, they hear Eli, Eli, they're thinking he's calling on Elijah. And then, of course, straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, put on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Um... <clears throat> This statement here, ladies and gentlemen, is so heavy and it's so powerful and it's so profound because those verses we looked at in Habakkuk chapter 1, where he is of pure eyes than to behold evil and he canst not look on iniquity. Yes, we should be telling people that they, Jesus is the forgiver of sin, but before we do that, we must qualify that by saying Jesus Christ punishes sin. Any God that doesn't punish sin is not the God of the Bible. And so we've got all kinds of religions running around talking about, you know, forgiveness of sin, sometimes even through Jesus. But they shy away from, from words like wrath. And, and, and interestingly enough, in the very same verse as John 3.16, the very same chapter, just 20 verses later, we have John 3 and verse 36. He that has the Son of God has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life, but the what? The wrath of God abides upon him. And the word wrath appears more times in the Bible than the word grace. Why? Because without real wrath, you don't need grace. The Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Isaiah 53, was smitten of God and afflicted. And friends, part of this, this smitten of God and afflicted involves this darkness, this this forsaking. And may I suggest to you that nobody knows forsaking like the Lord Jesus. Some of you know what forsaking feels like, and it's not good. It's probably one of the most um, helpless and hopeless feelings that, have, that a human heart can, can actually encounter, I believe. And the Lord Jesus knows all about it because he is becoming our sin substitute. Keeping in mind 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So you put verses like Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, and 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, and, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, and, and, and the neat thing about the word of God is that it's perfect. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is complete. And you take all these verses and put them together and you start to, to, to formulate a picture where God cannot look upon sin and instead he, he punishes sin. He crushes sin. 
And Isaiah 52 tells us that no man was marred like Jesus Christ was marred because of the wrath of God. And this darkness comes upon the face of the, of the whole place. And we know that, uh, I got wrote down something here that says, now we know that the very evil that God hated could not look upon was in that darkness hour, dark hour put upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, his death was a substitutionary death. Amen? Lest you think that this message is discouraging, I assure you it is not. Because uh, as some people have said, you know, that's, 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 that's not right. You know, that Jesus should take the punishment we deserve. Remember that guy at the war frat rally, John? I forget his name. What was his first name? Do you remember? I forget. Oh, that's horrible. I can't remember. Anyways, John spent quite a bit of time talking to this guy at the war frat rally. And he was adamant, I must take the punishment I deserve. He was so guilty because his girlfriend had had an abortion. He, he just was responsible for this death. That was The blood was on him. And no man, nobody can take the punishment I deserve. And I looked at him as earnestly as I could. And I said, sir, if you don't take the punishment you deserve, excuse me, if, if you don't embrace Jesus Christ and taking his punishment, then you will face God's wrath all on your own. And believe me, you don't want that. And he disagreed. He said, I do. I want that. And I said, I don't mean to sound disrespectful, but you don't know what you're talking about. You, you, we're talking about the wrath of God here. When we understand who God is in verses like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. When we understand that we're talking about Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, and we're talking about his wrath and his justice. And actually, I don't know who came up with that last verse of that song we sang, but that was pretty amazing. I don't know. Did, you, did somebody here come up with that? I had never seen that before. The last verse of the second to last song we sang. It was a Christmas song. Uh, what, Wes? Uh, no. I, anyway, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, what, what, what was that song? I can't. Elves, angels from the realms of, from the reels me, reels me. <laughs> Realism of glory. No, sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Um, Angels from the realms of glory. That fifth verse talks about this, this message. Almost bang on. About uh, repentance and about uh, judgment of sin. And about... Um, there was another... You know, about Yeah, it was awesome. I was like, wow. Somebody knew I was going to preach this message today. This is great. It's amazing how those uh, God does that sometimes. Talking about how... The word justice was in that verse. You don't hear a lot of songs about justice. But what's taking place on this cross is justice. Sin must be punished. It must be punished. And God is holy. And so Jesus Christ comes to that cross. The God in the flesh. John chapter 1 says the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. A good verse to dwell on with your family this Christmas. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I'll tell you something. People don't have a problem. People don't have a problem with a little cute baby. I held a little baby about three and a half months old. Uh, some of you know Charles Hartland. I had his, held his baby last night. Just cutest little guy, William. Just adorable. People don't have a problem with a little... With a little uh, uh, cute little baby in the manger. People don't have a problem with a cute kind of pudgy 
slobbering baby Jesus this time of year. They do have a problem thinking that he grew up for 33 years, lived a sinless life, and went to a hideous form of death called Roman execution, probably the most hideous form of death ever invented because it involves asphyxiation. And there on the cross, Jesus Christ endures the wrath of God. And I would submit to you that the wrath of God and this darkness mentioned in verse 45 are synonymous because thou art of pure eyes to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Habakkuk chapter 1. And here we have the Lord Jesus praying the second of his three prayers. First prayer is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's our second prayer. The third one is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Three, three times in seven statements the Lord Jesus is praying. So as we tie this all together, I want you to know, friends, if you're here without Jesus Christ, if you reject him, the wrath that is being poured out on his son, if you reject his, 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 his grace, his mercy, that wrath will be poured out on you. And that's, that's about as lovingly as I know how to say it. But I also want to tell you that little verse in Exodus, or excuse me, Ezekiel, that says, God hath no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they might turn from their ways and live. So today, if the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, I encourage you to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the very same Jesus who's saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, will one day say to you, enter into the joy of the Lord. Not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but by his mercy, he saves us. And you know what? The message for you Christians is identical. Please don't think if you're a Christian here today that you need Jesus any less after the moment of conversion. If we're saved by faith, we walk by faith, amen? We're saved by grace, we walk by grace. We're saved with repentance as part of the equation. Repentance ought not to diminish, and we ought to, as a matter of fact, the word repent, I believe in the scriptures. I, somebody challenged me, and I didn't believe it, so I looked it up for myself. The word repent in the Bible usually, more often than not, is referring to believers than it is to unbelievers. Isn't that interesting? But here we have the Lord Jesus in all of his glory, covered in blood, head to toe. You, you see little pictures of Jesus, you know, and he's got a little bit of blood trickling down his side, and a little bit of blood coming up. No, no. It was a bloody mess, okay? It was, he was the sin bearer. The wrath of God has come upon him. A man that kills people for a living, as I've already said, very obvious to him that this man was the son of God. You see the little loincloth around the Lord Jesus? There was no loincloth, ladies and gentlemen. He was completely naked. And Jesus Christ took the wrath that you deserve. So if you're, not, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, you've never repented of a single thing in your life, I would encourage you to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in this very one who's saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And if you are saved today, we have a message to tell. I would encourage you to be not ashamed of the gospel. And I would encourage you to invest your life in loving and serving and trusting and obeying and following the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is worthy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the word of God. And I, I know it's been a heavy, 
heavy subject here, but, but Lord, uh, these things are for us to, to ponder. These things are for us to think upon. These things are for us to meditate on, because if, if it wasn't for us to think on these things, you wouldn't have included them in your word. And so I don't fully understand all the ramifications of the father forsaking the son. The most intimate relationship in the history of the universe for a short period of time comes under siege here and we see a forsakenness and we don't we don't fully understand this but we know do know lord that he hath made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of god in him lord help us not to back, back away and shy away from words like justice and and wrath and hell lord god if if, if somebody rejects this they deserve hell they're not going to get an apology a million years into hell because when you reject the son of God if somebody rejects this very passage and says it's not true I don't believe it then they deserve they deserve the hell that's coming to them because he that believeth on him is not condemned and he that believeth not is condemned already So God, we, we praise you and thank you for the gospel. Thank you that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ, as he offers this statement, he's going to offer three more statements, and then he's going to literally give up his life. And thank you that he doesn't stay dead, but he rises from the dead three days later, as he said, according to the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you. For the word of God, thank you for the opportunity to ponder some very powerful things. And thank you that it all started with the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And help us to remember that this babe that we're going to celebrate at Christmas went to that cross. We celebrate that at Easter. And thank you that he rose again from the dead, defeated death, defeated hell, defeated the grave. And all who repent and put their faith and trust in Christ will be gloriously and wonderfully saved by the power of God. Thank you, Lord, for the free gift of eternal life that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're going to now have a uh, little potluck, a little fellowship around the table. and We're going to talk about some, some fun things, some light things, but, but Lord, help us not to also talk about uh, Matthew 27, Mark chapter 15, where the, the, the scriptures talk about uh, these very important subjects. So, Lord, uh, help us to be wise and discerning. I pray your blessing upon these folks till the next time that we can be together again. And as we partake of this little fellowship, I pray your blessing upon the food and the hands that prepared it and the fellowship around the tables. And we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you, folks.